Peter Paul was on Robben Island uh, and he was one of the late comers, as they say, because he spent six years in prison after he was caught. And you've got to catch this. He was caught transporting a missile, a missile from Botswana in a BMW 5 Series. And it's important to mention the car because it caused quite a stir when he got to the island. And um, so many other stories. And, and, and I think it's just fascinating to know that life on Robben Island was not just about the hardships and the politics that went on. There was a lighter side to Robin Island, and that is what we are delving into this morning. I hope, I sincerely hope, that Terra Lekota is listening this morning. Musiwa Lekota, wherever you are, please, someone tell him to listen because we want to also demystify some of the stories surrounding himself, Tokyo Sehwale, and some of the other islanders. But thank you so much for coming through, Peter Paul Nguenia. Thank you. Now, I must say, met you recently, very recently, but your story was so, so fascinating, and I hadn't laughed as much in a very long time. Now, perhaps we should start at the beginning. Your entry to Robben Island, and how you got there, why you were there, and the sort of impact that your entry had on the islanders. Okay, thank you. Let me see. Where do I start? Uh, but maybe it's, it starts way back in 1975 when I was at the University of Fort Yeh and I was recruited into the underground of the ANC. And in and 1977, I was expelled. So, but I had uh, the scholarship from IBM. Uh, so I hadn't completed my degree. But IBM decided that we will hire you as if you've completed your degree, you must try and have it uh, completed in one of the other institutions. So they trained me as, and I became a computer programmer. And by the time I was arrested, I was still working for them, but obviously also doing work for the NC Underground. Um, by the time I left, I, I was a, a systems engineer. Um, then I had been assigned uh, to work uh, with uh, the Underground through Botswana which was quite interesting because I couldn't utter a word of Sisuti or Tswana, and yet these were people who were my, my contacts. So I think in the early 80s, I was asked and told that uh, the ANC did want to send a message, and that message was we were going to carry out uh, a huge mission, which was uh, more of a propaganda nature than actually inflicting any damage to the state. So we were going to shoot down an aeroplane. In fact, that's the reason why I can't even go to the United States even now, because I'm listed as a, as a terrorist, because of that act. So in order to carry out uh, that uh, act, we had to bring into the country a missile, which was the SEM-7, an anti-air uh, missile. So I had to transport it from Botswana into South Africa, but that was going to take me quite a few days to get it into here, because at least each day I would have to travel maybe 10 kilos and bury it and then come the following day or two days later and earth it and then bring it up to Johannesburg because we're going to carry this out at uh, Vatericliff Base in, in Pretoria. So I was arrested while I was busy trying to carry out that mission. You were arrested where? <coughs> I was arrested uh, in Soweto uh, in a township called um, Fulo North 
Uh, there is a church called Twelve Apostle. In fact, that's where I was stopped, and that's where I was arrested. Do you? Uh, 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 was there anyone with you at the time? Yes, there was. Um, there, there was a. There were two cars. There, there was a friend of mine, Vusi Mazibugo, who was uh, we call him Mnambit. He was following me in his car, and he didn't know what I was up to. And then there was also a lady who was in my car, and she ended up actually being sentenced to three SSL. Her name is Bongwen Kabint. Oh, she must not be very fond of you. What did she say? <laughs> well, uh, I suppose uh, the way things have turned out, and she's uh, maybe quite proud that she also, in a way, participated in our freedom. Even if it was by default? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if it was by <laughs> default, because what I would do when I'm traveling around, uh, I had to find a way of of disguising myself. So I would invite ladies maybe to drive around with me, sometimes even ladies with their small babies, so that uh, the police, because the police had this thing, that anybody who drives around with a woman or with kids in his car, the, so that person can't really be up to some mischief. So so and a, a few other girls had been driving around with me, and some when they realized that this man is up to no good, then they never wanted to see me again. But she so you didn't tell them from the offset? No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have. Because if, well, how was I to know what were they going to do afterwards if I had told them? Because remember, this was underground. Nobody uh-huh. was supposed to know. Uh, and uh, the, the one other thing, the one was uh, actually uh, a policewoman. Uh, she worked in, uh, in, in Cape Town. And she also didn't know. And the interesting thing is that he, she then got promoted and started working for the security police. And she was telling me all these things, not knowing. And I reported this to, to, to Botswana. I said, what do I do with her? Because this is what she's doing. They said to me, no, just, just, just let her alone. In fact, if you do have a relationship with her, continue. Because see, it was quite helpful to have her. Even if I drove to a roadblock sometimes, she would just produce her identification and then we would be let through. Um, and I know she was very upset and very angry with me when I was finally arrested. Well, yeah. I would have been too. <laughs> but then you were arrested. Yes. And there starts your whole journey through a series of prisons leading yes. up to Robben Island. Yes, yes. Because I was sentenced here, what is now called South Gauteng. It was Ren Supreme Court then. I uh, was sentenced to 15 years. But then when I got to... Tipcliffe uh, Prison, which is Sun City, I was told I still had further charges to face, so I was taken to Kroonstad. Uh, but after a month in Kroonstad, they withdrew those charges, so I was brought back to, to Johannesburg. Then from Johannesburg, I was transported ne, to the island, but I didn't go straight to, to Robben Island. I, I went to Kroonstad again, and then Colesberg and Baltimore, which is where I first saw Nelson Mandela, and then finally Robben Island. Now, when you were told that you are going to Robben Island, what did you know about the island at that time? And, you know, were, did that instill any trepidation? How did you feel about being sent to Robben Island? Well, it's an awkward thing to say. Maybe the good thing about that is that when they arrest you, they keep you under solitary confinement. So you don't see or speak to anyone other than the police officer. And I was kept in that situation for about nine months. So when you are finally told you are going to Rowan Island, it's a bit of a relief because at least now you'll be mingling and meeting people who think uh, like yourself, 
But more importantly for me, here and now I was going to get an opportunity of meeting all these legends and leaders and people who really were, 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 were trying hard to get us uh, our freedom in South Africa. So I was in a way looking forward to it. And obviously there were people also who were on the island that I knew. So then I was quite looking forward to that. And somebody had come through to see me through my trial and said, you know, your story is being covered every day in the papers. And then on the island they are reading, everybody is keen to see what kind of an animal like you. What kind of an animal? But <laughs> it was that BMW 5 series that caused quite a lot of consternation because yes. I'm told that when you arrived on the island that people didn't even know uh, you know what a BMW was well, in yes. some instances. Yeah, I think you remember uh, uh, some of those people had been in jail since uh, the, the early 60s. Uh, Mandela himself had been in jail since 1962. And I don't think uh, the first time I also got to know about the BMW must have been in the very early 80s. Um, so, yes, they might have read about it. They might have seen pictures or photos, but uh, nobody... Uh, knew it physically and I think uh, many of them didn't know anyone who owned or drove uh, uh, a BMW. So you were quite a celebrity when you got to the island. Yeah, yes I was. Uh, I was in a way because uh, obviously people wanted to see, you know, most of the people that were on the island with a few exceptions like Nelson Mandela, people who came from very poor backgrounds, people who were children of domestic workers and all this. So many of them their parents never had uh, cars themselves. So now here I was coming to be amongst them and I was actually driving a BMW, although I lost it. <laughs> so you, you never got it back? No, I never got it back. What what happened is uh, when they went through it, firstly, obviously, the, 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 they, don't, they didn't really find the measles in the car because when they caught me, the measles was buried. But I had... Uh, my spare wheel was full of hand grenades, about 30 hand grenades. So that's what they found. And then also there was some money because I was also receiving money from the ANC to, to fund the activities of the organization in the country. So they found that money. So they said that was proof that this vehicle was used in committing criminal acts, which was the case at the time because the ANC was an un, a banned organization. So they said it would be forfeited to the, to the state. Mm. Mm. Did you try afterwards to go and locate that car? Well, uh, a friend of mine came to visit me and uh, he had come across it because what happened is the authorities took it and then they sold it to somebody. But it would seem that that person they gave it to might not even have paid for it. It was a way of rewarding them for whatever they were doing for the state. Because when this gentleman approached this lady who was driving this car and wanted to know where she got it from, she then she was very very nervous and she ran away and then later she changed the number plate because the registration number had remained this registration number that i had that's how my friend recognized the car so when i came back because what had happened although there was a belief that this car was bought by the anc for me it, i had acquired it through an, an, an hp yes I did receive some money from mm. the NC also to pay for it, but uh, it was a normal. I didn't buy it for cash. I was paying. So when I got arrested, it was still owing money. So it had been bought through Stenik. And, and Stenik, when I came back, they said, you owe us money. So they were blacklisting <laughs> me. So I went to their head, headquarters, and then they, they actually wrote it off. And then when 
we, the NC became government. I went to, especially to talk. I said, guys, everybody is claiming back whatever was lost to the state. I would like to have my car back. Uh, it was going to be a long process. I didn't really uh, get it back. Oh, But okay. I did get something back. What did you get? Um, he, I had, obviously, I had been given a pistol, a uh, Makarov, uh, which I carried around. And when I was arrested, the, the police uh, couldn't find it. And uh, I had a story that uh, I didn't know what had happened to it. So while they tortured me, but I, was, I did manage not to disclose it. But when I came out of jail, I go and retrieve it. I went and retrieved it where I had buried it. Then I went to the NC. I said, I would like to keep this. Can you issue a license for me? So You still have did. it. I still have it, but it's more of a memento than something I use. Peter Paul Nguenia is who we are speaking to this morning, and we're taking a look at life on Robben Island through the eyes of one of the islanders. So there, the man arrives at Robben Island, and he's famous because of this BMW that the islanders had been reading about. And he gets there. But Peter, you were also carrying with you another package as yeah. you were moving from prison to prison. And this then becomes subject of quite an interesting story on the island. Yes. A committee had to be set up <laughs> because when Peter Paul Nguenia came to Robben Island, something changed. And not that he was just this person who arrived yesterday, Uma Figi Zolo, and he's this big hit because of the BMW that he drove. But there were also rumors going around about this man. And it centered around a smell. And the islanders were pretty concerned about the aroma that Mr. Peter Paul Nguenia exuded. But tell us that story and this package that yeah. you'd been carrying around. Yeah. Well, you see, this uh, investigation, I'll call it an investigation, was being carried out without my knowledge behind my backs. And some of the people who were involved were very close to me, but nobody was telling me. You see, the NC or the government or, or, or the, our parliamentarians now, have come up with a very progressive constitution that recognizes all sorts of rights, including sexual preferences. But the truth be told, uh, in jail, anybody who was suspected to be gay was frowned upon. And in fact, there, were question, there would be questions around that person. So obviously there was this aroma or scent around me <clears throat> which made them think that I wasn't really a man. Uh, there was something about me that made me to be some kind of a, uh, a woman, if for the lack of a better <laughs> word. And the reason is because uh, when I was sentenced uh, here in Johannesburg, <clears throat> I was approached by a white girl who said to me she would like to show her appreciation for what we were doing because while we were going end up going to jail ourselves, but she knew that what we were doing was for the benefit of everyone in the country. So she said she would like to give me a token and because the judge had said uh, we were going to come back and be sentenced on a specific day, she said, I'll be back here for your sentencing, and I would like to give you something. What would you like? Obviously, as a prisoner, I said, if you bring me money, it would be okay. She said, no, I will bring you money, but I would want to bring you something. And I said, it's your choice. Then she brought me this package and money, <clears throat> which, you know, the excitement of being sentenced, saying goodbye to your relatives and friends. I, I took this thing with me without even opening it, and you see, it wasn't so strict at the time, and the authorities never wanted to know what was. So 
as I was moving from prison to prison, they would take this thing, lock it up, and then when I'm released to the next prison, they would give it to me until I reached Robben Island. Then when I opened it, I discovered that it was a range of Aramis products, you know, everything, aftershave, deodorant, and, and perfume, and uh, talc spray, and all that. So I started using this thing, applying these things on my, on, on my person, Likely aware that he, it was causing this stare because uh, <laughs> whenever I had had a bath and I was in my cell and then people, there was this smell in the passage and then people started asking questions without me knowing. So they set up a, a committee and that committee was Matthew Chulo, uh, Wilson Mkwai and, and Tofu Sikwale to investigate me. What were they supposed to investigate? Your to, scent? Yeah, my scent. What is it? What is it that he does? What is it that he applies for him to smell? And why is he doing this? Because we're supposed to be all men here. And this man... And smell of blue smells soap. Like, yeah, he, he smells like Helen Sussman whenever he she visits. <laughs> <laughs> and so what happened? Well, after they had gathered what they thought was evidence without me knowing... You see, the other thing I hated, and which, which really hurt me, was that he, people had been also warned. Now, be careful of this man. If you do drop a soap in the shower, be careful <laughs> he's not around. <laughs> so everybody... Yeah, so everybody in the section was very, very suspicious of me without me knowing it. And uh, I, I felt quite aggrieved because uh, I was particularly close to Wilton Mkwai and Tokyo. And the two of them had been roped into this investigation without of them ever notifying me. So on this day when they thought they had gathered in uh, sufficient evidence, then they sent Tokyo to walk into my cell while I was still half naked, getting dressed. And then he then started interrogating me, asking me, what is it? And she first said, there are rumors about you. I said, what rumors? She said, there are rumors that your behavior, your conduct is not totally acceptable. I said, what do you mean? Then he started pointing out because he could see these products were here in front of him. What is this? I said, what is this? What do you mean? And then when I realized that he was going, then I took up the spray, I started spraying him. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then he ran away. He ran away to report back to the committee. But when he got there, the committee said, no, you smell like this man. So what can you tell us? <laughs> so you've sold out. Yeah, yes, you've sold out. But at the end of the day, it ended up being a good story because then they said to look, because this thing did say this is for men. So nobody could argue with that. So in the end, I had to educate the whole prison about uh, these final things of life. And, and then... Um, you, just, you should have seen how the the prison was transformed and revolutionized because everybody then started buying these perfumes. <laughs> wow, there you have it. And one of the latecomers to Robben Island, I tell you, uh, you think metrosexual, being metrosexual is a thing now. Apparently, um, he started it all. As on the island, at least. That's Peter Paul Nguenya, whom we are speaking to this morning. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 
Thanks for tuning in. On the Forum Date this morning, we're taking a look at life on Robben Island through one of the latecomers, as we uh, believe he was called, uh, Peter Paul Nguenia. But uh, yeah, it's a, he's a man who caused quite a stir on uh, the island for various reasons. Uh, scent of a woman turned out to be scent of a revolutionary. And, um, you know, he's just sharing some of those stories with us. And of course, you're free to join in the conversation on 891 You can SMS us on 34701 tweet or facebook at sakina kamwendo or at am live on safm but i just want to uh, um, get peter paul to tell us a few more stories before we go uh, to the lines now um gov governor yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. a story there about you and him yeah. and the advent of television in the in 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 um robin island yeah Firstly, I was quite close to him because uh, when you arrive on Robben Island, the, the NC had a syllabus which they take prisoners through. So when you come during the year, you might find the syllabus halfway. So you'd be assigned a, a mentor who would take you quickly away. And he, he was then my mentor. So I had to always spend an hour with him in his cell, you know, he was trying to bring me up to date the going on. So... I became quite close to to him, and then when the television arrived uh, on, on Robben Island, there was a huge debate and and discussions whether we should accept this. Obviously, we viewed it as a propaganda tool, and so people were not really keen on on this thing. There were a number of reasons, including the fact that, and and Beg himself, and this is an intellectual, was saying to us, while we're watching this box and we see people in Pretoria, Cape Town, and everywhere else. How sure are we that they also do not see us and can find out what we're doing here, <laughs> which was obviously an innocent. But the, the thing about him, he said uh, he only watched news and, and then the FA Cup final. He said he didn't understand all the other programs because they were, they were American programs and he couldn't really understand the way the Americans spoke uh, English. So we we then had this FA Cup. I can't remember which teams were playing, so we all sat down to watch it. And then this one team scored. And remember, Governor Mbeki had never seen a television in his life. So they scored. And then they scored again quickly. And then the third time, and the same guy was scoring. And Governor Mbeki said, this is a useless uh, team they let the same guy punish them three times in a space of few <laughs> seconds what he didn't realize was that these were all replaced <laughs> so you obviously had the task yes. of bringing some of what you had yeah. experienced yeah. on the outside to people who had yeah. been in prison for quite a long time yes. god bless well, his soul what 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 happened also around television he said uh, Obviously, everybody wanted to see the, I think it was the 8 o'clock news then on SABC 1. But we would be watching something else on the other channels. And then uh, 30 seconds before 8, we had to switch over. And because I was a, a newly, I was the only one probably who understood TV. I was given the responsibility of operating it. So I was the only one who was allowed to touch it. So 30 seconds before the hour, I would have to switch over to SABC 1 for the news. But I discovered that there was a remote and uh, they, I didn't show it to them. So they would look at me and say, change the TV, change the channel. And I would say, no, this television understands you guys now. It will change by itself. It knows. <laughs> <laughs> and then they would, 
And then closer to the time I would, you know, be hiding the remote, I would switch it over to another channel. They say, ha, ah, it understands us. Uh, this thing is magic. <laughs> hey, how could you do that to your elders? And of course, you know, just re- uh, recalling some of those lighter moments on Robben Island, uh, speaking to Peter Paul Nguenia this morning, and there's a story about a committee that was set up for everything, basically. You had to set up a committee for everything. Apparently, one of the islanders had planted an apple tree, yes. and it produced a fruit. Yeah, Elias Msalit. You know, there was everything. There was democracy that you wouldn't understand on the island. But you don't, we don't have fresh water on the island. And uh, if you are to grow any plants, you then have to collect water because all of us will be given uh, portions of fresh water, which is fresh from Cape Town, for us to drink. So we had all to donate and contribute to Comrade Elias Mtswalidi for him to plant this apple tree, which produced one apple. And now we were 22 in the section. Now, this apple, we had to f- set up a committee to decide how this apple is going to be shared. So the committee ended up saying it must be shared. So there were slices cut, 22 slices out of the apple. And then somebody had also planted chilies and it yielded maybe about five uh, 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 chilies. And and then again, we had to decide how do we cut this up. And, and the committee same committee. The same committee. But the overall committee was like the government. It was the, called the central organ. It was the, the one that ran the island. Mm. Democracy in yeah. action, a committee for everything. Yeah. And of course, taking your calls now, 0891-104-208. And I see he's been listening. Uh, Mr. Uh, Tera Lekota, Musiwa Lekota joins us on the line now. Good morning. <laughs> <laughs> you are laughing again. <laughs> that man is quite a cheat, you know. <laughs> He must tell about his sins and not tell so much about other people. <laughs> well, I haven't spoken uh, about you. You haven't said anything I about him as yet. I haven't said a thing yet. about you. There's a lot to say about you, by the way. <laughs> so don't start with me. <laughs> so, Mr. Yeah. Lakota, when Peter yeah. Paul Nguenia arrived on Robben Island, what uh, w- what was your first impressions of this man? No, no, no. I found him on the island when I went back for the second time. Uh-huh. Remember that I did two uh, yes. times So when I went back the second time, I found <coughs> I found him there. But I had already been doing a long, long time in uh, Modabi and uh, because uh, Delmas One was a very long uh, trial, as you might remember. Mm-hmm. So when I, I got there, I found that he, he was cleverer <laughs> and. Uh, we playing all these tricks with all the other guys, and uh, we, began, we we took up to each other. But mostly, he was very very close to uh, a, a friend of mine, Popo Mulefe, you know, who became premier of the Northwest, as you might you might recall. Mm-hmm. And uh, because uh, because I challenged uh, Peter Peter Paul on uh, many things, and he found he couldn't play all these tricks with me. Uh, but uh, Pupo was uh, much more manageable by him, so he was much more closer and uh, happier with Popo. A consequence of which, you know, I found myself in his bad books. <clears throat> Although I played a lot of sport and all of that. So whenever he had some niceties, they were always shared with Popo, and I was excluded by him very tactfully. 
it's a matter that we are still debating with him even now. Oh. Because, uh, yeah, yes, on, uh, I mean, uh, he still has to make up to me because uh, I was very unfairly treated by him. In particular, on an occasion when he had a very little, uh, uh, um, shall I say, uh, entertain, fully entertaining birthday, because he had saved quite a lot of uh, niceties and all of that. He made sure that he was going to excluded me from this uh, birthday. It's a matter that oh. has, has remained, uh, remained a sore point with me to this day. Oh. Uh, nevertheless, yeah, yeah, nevertheless, uh, he's been trying you be to make up for it here and there. So as long as he continues to do that, uh, the relations are, are workable. But, but Peter, said... is, uh, Peter is very right. I think what Peter actually uh, shows in what he's telling is that Robin Island was not uh, just one place. It evolved over the years. Uh, the people who were there in the early 60s, and uh, the group, uh, the generation that came in in the 70s, and those who came in in the latter part, uh, say in the 80s or something, a uh, number of changes had happened. And these generations were interacting, learning from each other, uh, building on what others had achieved. These committees that he's, he's talking about, and he's very right about that, we had to have an, a committee for studies, for education. A committee for if you have a hunger strike, you must set up a hunger strike. And you have to have a, a sports committee. Now, the, the, this was very important because if, for instance, there was a hunger strike and an and education committee, a study committee, uh, managed the hunger strike, the authorities of Tawa would ban that committee and then there would be no, the studies would be jeopardized. Uh, because it will be said that this is nothing about studies, it's only about organizing hunger strikes. And so, so, so that's why these committees were so important. Now, of course, I must confess that, uh, you know, in all of the time I spent on the island, I never uh, voted for the hunger strike because I never could understand <laughs> why. Of course you wouldn't have. Remember, he no, actually, he confirmed the story. He says you were the one who was responsible for taking the food from Madiba's um, uh, 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 Victor Fester house. He <laughs> says it was, everybody says it was you. So I can believe that you wouldn't vote for to, the hunger strike. Tokyo to helped him to carry the food, but he's the no. one who stole it. He's no, the one who stole it. You see, I knew he would come up with the, with the, the, the fact that he's going to dismiss me again. But the, the reason for me, for me is that I always that we were denied food outside. But now, even in my prison where there was nothing, hardly anything to eat, the guys said, you know, we must now starve ourselves. And uh, I used to help this other guy. But he was always in the hunger strike committee. He was always... <laughs> yeah, they always elected me to the hunger <laughs> committee because they, they, heard, they knew I would make every effort to try and get the hunger strike to end as soon as possible. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming through this morning. And of course, at some point, we'll speak to him as well yes. about his stories. But the lighter side of life on Robben Island, there was a committee for 
everything on Robben Island. As you heard, they would set up a committee to decide this one apple. How should this apple be shared amongst the prisoners? So that among some of the things that we are talking about this morning with Peter Paul Nguenia. Let's go to Ushaka uh, in uh, the Val. Good morning. Morning, how are you? Well, and you? I'm listening to Peter Paul. Uh, we, we are actually the younger generation. Uh, we are the generation that came in the 80s, uh, mid to late 80s. Uh. But I think part of the story to share is uh, is, is uh, the late Elias Mutualidi's uh, garden in the hospital. <laughs> I think I think that's that that was one story that we always carry. Even when we talk to our children, we say, you know, we must value gardening. We must value vegetables. Uh, I remember when we I was in, in a section and we wanted to go and get some vegetables, and the Vincent James said, but uh, there should be a team. I did not know that it must it's supposed to be a CC, a cell committee. There should be a team that deals with us. You can't just go there and come back with vegetables. And 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 when he speaks about the committee, I remember I actually jumped from C section to to D section. And I met for the first time I met uh, uh, Minister Jeff Khadebe and Dr. Bongsenenlom and others. And when when I came back, I only found out that there was a committee set up to inform the young ones coming to Robben Island for the first time, do not jump over the wall and show that these people behave. In fact, that's why I got my, my Robben Island name from Zula Zula. Because I used to go from this section to that section. But uh, I think Peter Paul has been quite a very very interesting person to look at upon it. Uh, I know Peter Paul and Mzri uh, Kumalo were the smartest of leaders that we have. Everybody would say, hey, we are one The manner in which they handle themselves, but also they being role models, even outside when we were released, and they still, we're still looking upon them as, as role models. Thank you very much. Oh, thank Good. you so much for sharing the Shaka uh, Khadebe. And uh, Kifilwe is calling us from Santon. Good morning, Kifilwe. Well, I, I think you must be having an irritable power from laughing. <laughs> <laughs> I've been laughing the whole morning. Let me tell you, you had a guest. You had uh, Amar Prada. You had Pab Simba. Yes. Today, this is... It's so... I must go and leave. <laughs> I must go and leave. <laughs> Why must I go and leave now, Kifilwe? <laughs> You've been laughing too much. As long as you've been enjoying it, Kifilwe, it's all good. But let me tell you what is very important. All these people that you've been talking to need to document all these things. Our children don't know all these things. I know you. this is supposed to be a lighter. Mm-hmm. The whole morning, I started with Martha at 5 a.m. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> but 
Because you've been laughing. I've been laughing the whole morning. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. What is important, all this needs to be documented for our children. Absolutely. Couldn't agree with you more. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and it's important that we do it as soon as possible. There have been some efforts, mm-hmm. but I think there needs to be more extensive documentation. I totally agree with Kifilwe. Eddie in Edenvale, good morning. and Peter, this is hilarious. <laughs> you know, we are these people that de- great debt of the country owes you a great debt of gratitude for what you sacrificed. But it's nice to know there were some light-hearted moments there. Not just documented, you should make it play. Or for a movie about this, about what went on there. But my question really why I found is, I've always wondered, were, you, were the ANC prisoners in the same quarters as the PAC and the other organizations? And what was the relationship between the two, between the different... Uh, political party uh, freedom fighter groups was it mm. cordial or how, how was it thank you very much thank you for that question eddie and um of course also it wasn't just uh, our liberation fighters there were others as well on yes. the island yes there were namibians as yes. well yeah um yes uh, thanks for that question there we we differed obviously politically in our discussions and we also decided to in celebrating the different days June 16 was allocated to 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 Azapo March 21st was allocated to the PC and then December 16 was the ANC when uh, so but we in but each party would contribute uh, a speaker to the to these things and in all these committees except the ANC specific committees in all this I ended up uh, uh, serving in a committee which was responsible which was like the government of the of the of our section at least it was called Ulundi I was serving there with Enoch Zulu, who was the PAC, and I had a very good relationship with Enoch Zulu. And then one of my best friends was a, a guy called Mnigina, Mnigina uh, from Eastland, and he was a Zappo. He was anti-anti-INC. So we lived like a family on, on the island. And uh, again, there was a hunger strike, the last one, which the PAC didn't support. But when we embarked on it, they said they are also not going to eat in solidarity, but although they didn't agree with our demands as far as that hunger strike went. Mm. I want to run through some of the questions here. I see Vusi Piccoli wants to know, uh, can you please ask him about him and Jomo burning curtains at Fort Hare in 1976? You see, all the secrets are coming out. Yeah. Do tell. No, we... we, we hey, but no, I mustn't compromise myself here because Pumzile Nunga said to me, you know that we can always prosecute you for what we did. Yeah, there is some truth in that. And Vusi, Vusi Piccoli, I'm told, when he found out that I've been arrested, he was exiled. He said, he, he's, he's fisting the air. He said, yeah, they got him. <laughs> <laughs> they finally got him. <laughs> and then Stofile Makinkese uh, came to Robin Island to visit somebody. So he meets me in the visiting quarters. He said, hey, you know, I'm so happy you're in jail. I thought you had sold out because I saw as a, you as a bride. Well, he was my lecturer at, at Forte. So he said, I saw that there was some sparking you and when i didn't hear anything about you i thought you had sold out i'm happy that you're in jail <laughs> <laughs> happy that you are in jail yeah. but so you and jomo did you burn the curtains i think it was jomo <laughs> you were not there <laughs> <laughs> i was what, what did you observe <laughs> <laughs> i was we we burned the hall at 40 and the varsity was closed because of that <laughs>
Me and Jomo. I tell you, the secrets, they'll come out. Do tell more, uh, Mr. Vusipikoli. Send more tweets. Tell us more about what actually happened. And I, I must just uh, run through some of the messages that have come through. Uh, Olufonsu says, thoroughly enjoying the interview with uh, Mr. Nguenia so much. Aramis sent, I love smelling good too. Gosnati Wald says, I would like to know what uh, Peter is doing now in life. Jay Ponky says, uh, could you please ask Mr. Peter Paul Nguenia where and how did they manage to get hold of these grenades, those missiles? And Zola D says, from now on, I'll be wearing a, le- a revolutionary cologne, Aramis. Okay, thanks. Quickly, the, the one question was that what I'm doing now, I'm yes. running a, an empowerment company called Makana Investments. It has a diverse interest in media, uh, mining, financial services. I'm the executive chairman of that. In fact, I, I, Rowena Bate once worked for me. Oh. Yeah, yeah the, the grenades, uh, I would get them from, from Botswana. They were, they, you know, we use the frontline states to transport some of these weapons. So my route was through, was through Botswana. And, and what was the other question? Well, there were comments, really. Oh, okay. But, you know, the moment, the one memory that really sticks out for you <laughs> about life on Robben Island, what would that be? Sure. The, 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 the amen, you know, I wish you had warned me about, the, uh, about this question, but I will tell you this. We, in 1990, we had prepared and lobbied and asked the authorities to be allowed to watch the World Cup because see, there were no televisions. Television was restricted to a few people. So we succeeded. It was installed. And then <clears throat> the first day of the World Cup, Cameroon was going to be playing Argentina. We were all settling down. This was now the highlight the, because see, we had never watched a World Cup, and this was going to be the first time. As we were settling down, and then the door gets opened, and then a whole list of names gets called out by the authorities. It was about 22 people, and it was the first time such a large number of people were being released. So that took away all the excitement. Uh, we ended up not watching that game, which Cameroon won. So I think that's one, one of the many times, uh, one of the, of the moments that I will always remember for the island. But obviously there were quite many. I mean, mm. the, the first time, obviously, I walked in there and set my eyes on Governor Mbeki, Harry Kuala, Ultun Mkwa, Elias Mtswaledi, Remod Mtsaba. All those also were, were quite uh, uh, moments for me. And that is it from the man who introduced revolutionary sense on uh, Robben Island, Peter Paul Nguenia. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming through this morning and sharing some of those lighter it's, moments on the island. It's my pleasure, Saki. Thank you. And um, just, <laughs> I have to read this tweet from Motibi Posa. It says, forming committee to share an apple. I understand why government likes committees, task teams, commissions, etc. <laughs> Now you know where it comes from. And that, unfortunately, is where we have to leave it because that's all we have time for this morning. Thank you so much to our guests this morning, Mr. Peter Paul Nguenia, and uh, to the production team. The Forum at 8 on SAFM.